For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The sport is just going to die if they don't break the designated hitter to the National League. We got fresh, frozen <laughs> strawberry margaritas, and Terry's bringing us chips and salsa all night long. Nick's hips do not lie. <laughs> yeah. I got a MF wagon. <laughs> like, let's be real. <laughs> the Washington Nationals are the world champions. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Half Street High Heat. You can find them wherever your podcasts are downloaded or sold. With me, as always, is Ray Knight. Uh, Johnny, I think this is going to be a great episode. I do. They're going to talk baseball, Johnny. And the baseball is the reason they talk and what they talk about. I think that's important to talk about baseball. And if you're a baseball podcast, you're going to end up talking lots of baseball. Well, that's awesome. Thank you very much, Johnny and Ray. Bob Carpenter with you here. And now- Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Half Street High Heat presented by Manscaped. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, we appreciate all of you listening. I am Amanda, and I'm joined by only one of my sacriferous co-hosts today. Nick couldn't join us, so it's just Ryan and myself. Uh, make sure to find us on Twitter. The show is there at Half Street High Heat. And don't forget to check out the website at halfstreethighheat.com which has lots of good stuff for you to check out. How you doing, Ryan? Um, in the spirit of Nick, I think I have to like make a comment about what that word means. You know, I have absolutely no idea, but I am. Saccariferous. Yeah, that's just sapphire. Like, I don't know. That's just, that's amazing. It's actually word. from saccharin for being sweet, for wishing me a happy Mother's Day. Yes. Happy Mother's Day. You. Yes. <laughs> you and all the other superhero moms out there the absolute backbones of society. Um, Very nice. Saccharifers even. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm good. I watched all the, all eight episodes of Invincible this weekend. Shout out my good Twitter friends, Dylan and Connor for putting me onto it. Um, and I also have a massive hernia. So I have not done much. Wow. That sounds not, not like much fun. Yeah. How did that happen? Um, and guess who now has their own insurance and kept putting it off. <laughs> adulting you were adulting oh right now god that it's such a scam i actually <laughs> don't know i i have to move a lot of stuff for work and like i've had this pain for like several months now but then like i could feel it and i was like i should probably go to the doctor yeah it might be time to get that checked out yeah like the fact that i can see it now i was like mm, probably time to go get a professional <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah maybe pastime one could argue yeah, you know, and yeah, so yeah, I got I got a hernia. Um, I'm day to day right now. No ten day IL yet, mm. but yeah, you know, day to day with a lower body injury. Day, <laughs> yes, I'm Alex Ovechkin right now, and you're just never going to know where he is. <laughs> I know this isn't baseball related, but it was a couple days ago in the 
one of the press conferences with Levulet and he, somebody asked him about injury updates and he just said, everybody has a lower body injury. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> like the whole damn team has a lower body injury. It's depressing. But we are not a Capitals podcast, so we won't go too far down that road. Let's move on to our quick pitch. Uh, are no hitters not that special now? So this is the most Rob Manfred thing of all time. Rob was like, all right, you know, let's deaden the ball so there's less home runs, there's more balls in play, and more action. Instead, he, he just created a bunch he, of no-hitters <laughs> in the first month of the season. He created gods. Like, pitchers who are already, like, good are just great. And then you have the people like DeGrom and Max Scherzer and everyone else who's just absolutely unhittable at this point. And we had our fourth no-hitter of the year. There was almost a fifth one that same night. Mm-hmm. Um, Madison Bumgarner threw one through seven innings, so that's five if you count it. I don't know. It's just like when I saw Wade Miley through his, I, my first reaction was, oh, wow, really? Like, again? Like, usually when I get the notification, no And then my next happened. one was, wow, Wade Miley? Right? And John um, Means? I mean, what's happening right now? It's just like, I don't know. Like, when I got the notification, I, like, I didn't run to my like TV or like try to find it to watch it. I was like, Oh wow. Again, like that's four in a month. That's that's the most in the season. That's absurd. And I don't know. They, they need to go back to the old balls. Cause we have four in a month. There's going to be more. It's going to get to a point where it's like, yeah, well, it's like hitting home run. It happens. Yes. It's just been a very weird thing. And I think the answer to the question is yes, they are less special. Like when you have five of them in a month, I mean, it's still cool. Like when I got the notification about John Means, I went and flipped on the TV because I happened to be home and watched it. And I love watching a no-hitter. It's so exciting. I love watching everybody celebrate. It's such a thing that that guy will remember forever. It's cool, but it's not as cool. You know what else used to be cool and exciting? Home runs. And now they're just kind of so blasé. You know, I, I do think that they're losing a little bit of their the, a no-hitter. It's still an amazing accomplishment, but not as amazing. I agree. Not as exciting. I don't know what the answer is, but you're right. It is the Manfredist thing ever. <laughs> he's like, I may have messed up everyone. Well, he's got the, the, the opposite of the Midas touch. Whatever he touches turns to not gold. <laughs> it's terrible. Okay. Let's move on to our weekend review. Yes. So we are moving in to mid May. Um, some things are becoming pretty clear. Teams are pretty pretty cluttered right now, but one thing that is extremely clear, baseball has an issue. Wade Miley, as we mentioned, tosses a no-hitter over the weekend. It was MLB's fourth this season. They almost had a fifth the same night, but lost in the eighth. Last time Major League Baseball had four or more no-hitters in an entire season was in the early 1900s. It is May 10th. We have four. Before the Red Sox hit the 20-win mark, they dropped to one percentage below 600. That date, May 7th, marked the latest into the season where no MLB team had a win percentage over 600. MLB is seeing no dominant teams. There's only one true terrible team right now, and there's less offense than they have ever had. MLB is at a crossroad. They're the only professional sport that is trying to shorten the game and trying to shorten the product giving less fans less to enjoy. Pitching is way too dominant right now. Does MLB go back and juice the baseballs, or do they stick to it and decide to actually market pitchers? 
Around the league, on May 1st, Royals had the highest win percentage in baseball. They now have the 20th. Red Sox and A's were the first two teams in the American League in all of baseball to 20 wins. The Giants and Cardinals were the first two teams in the NL to 20. Dodgers have lost five straight series for the first time since 2017. To the East, which was a very wild week. In last place are the 13 and 17 Nats. We'll get to them here in a moment. Um, in fourth place are the 14 and 18 Marlins, who lost 2-3 to the Brewers and now have a three-game set against the easy Diamondbacks. In third are the 17 and 17 Braves. They have won five of their last six. They stole two from the Phillies after the Phillies threw at Acuna. Braves signed Tanner Roark to a minor league deal, and they brought back Shane Green to help with the bullpen. They also held a vaccination drive, vaccinating 300 fans. Congratulations to you guys for getting vaccinated. They now have a three-game set with the Blue Jays. In second place are the 18-17 and 17 Phillies. They are 6-4 and four in their last 10. Girardi is their biggest issue, but... We have more on them coming up later on in the episode with a fantastic interview previewing that series. In first place are the 16 and 13 Mets who have won five straight. But it's time for keeping up with the Mets. My favorite. The biggest question in New York right now, is it a rat or is it a raccoon? No one knows, but several Mets players went sprinting into the tunnel during a game over the weekend, and Jeff McNeil later took the field after with a black eye. Francisco Lindor insists that the two were just fighting over what a rodent was in the dugout, nothing more. Players have since lashed out at reporters on Twitter doing their job, just trying to figure out what happened in the hallway. And with one player liking a tweet saying, quote, no wonder someone tried to fight him end quote, in regards to a New York Post reporter. The New York Mets will never change. In other news, Jacob deGrom is on the 10-day IL, and now the Mets play the Orioles with Matt Harvey scheduled to face the Mets. This has been your week in review, brought to you in part by your local neighborhood Chili's, May's $5 Margarita of the Month, the Cheers to Patron Rita. It's made with premium ingredients such as Patron, Silver Tequila, Triple Sec, and Fresh Sour. This $5 Margarita of the Month is a refreshing glass of springtime this has been your week in review yeah quite a week um the met story is hysterical and i love your description of uh manfred's baseball which what was it i think fewer games for fewer fans or something like that yeah they, like, they're the only professional sport league that's trying to shorten the game it's just like you're giving your fans less right profit. which means less right well i think because with with, uh, you know, if you've got a football game, it's going to go to commercial every so often. But with a baseball game, you're only going to commercial between innings. So a longer game doesn't get you any more ad revenue than like it would for other sports. But still, you should be trying to expand your sport, not contract it. And just uh, for a blackout story that I loved over the weekend, my former neighbor, who's a huge Yankees fan, just moved away to Charlotte. He moved down there this month. And he was so excited to watch the Nats-Yankees uh, series because he's been to a lot of Nats games with us. And he's kind of, th- the Nets are kind of his National League team. And uh, he's, he texted me and said, are you serious? I can't watch this game. So he couldn't get Masson because he's in Charlotte, North Carolina, and they don't have it there. And, of course, he can't watch it on MLB TV, which he has to watch Yankees games because he's within the Nats area. So he was unable to watch any of the games this weekend. Way to go, MLB. Way to go. And then we blacked out all the way down there. That yeah. sucks. Isn't that ridiculous? <laughs> it's so, and he pays for MLB TV because he's a Yankees fan and wants to watch the Yankees, and he can't even watch his Yankees play because he's in the Nats area. Dumb sport. While they're playing, it's so 
stupid. And I feel like one thing we need to add to the weekend review is um, the situation with FP Santangelo. Yeah, I com- I completely forgot about that. Yeah, so FP sucks. Um, we have, Nick and I have never liked FP. Now the latest allegations of sexual misconduct have come out. It all makes sense why FP was off. But the question is, if Masson knew about these, why did they let him come back for one more game? That's the question. Um, the Nats and Masson both released statements. It's sloppy. Both sides are kind of just pointing the finger at, well, you're the employer. Deal with it. And Masson's like, you're the team. Deal with it. And the story is FP needs to be fired. He should not touch foot inside the stadium again. He should never appear on this broadcast ever again. He needs to be fired. Yeah, and the other interesting thing I saw was, and this was, I believe, from Chelsea Janes in the last couple of days on Twitter, where she said um, Masson's statement had said basically that MLB needed to be involved because he was a former player or something, and MLB came out and was like, well, we'll be involved, but not because of that. There's nothing that makes us have to be involved. Do you know what I mean? It's just this really weird, messy... It kind of like... It's kind of like no party wants to take responsibility. Right. That's exactly what it feels like. Is a terrible look for all sides. And it's annoying. And it's also disheartening because this is an issue we have talked about a lot in, on this podcast this year from the Mets, from the Angels, from the Indians, all the teams have had these issues. Now you have it again with FP and no party wants to like take responsibility and like, you know, make the one to make this call of firing him. That's what I took away from the statements. Mm-hmm. Um, it is good that he's currently not on the air. Like I said, he is a disgusting human being. He needs to be fired. Um, we will not talk about him again on this podcast because of this. But all those statements were like, oh, yeah, okay. A so, lot of buck passing going yeah, on. Yeah, and like sure. it seemed like a mess from outside looking in. And we, we confirmed it was that much of a, a mess on the inside. Oh, yeah, and we, we saw this earlier in the season with the Mets where everybody wants to say, oh, we had no idea before he was hired it's like nobody wants it's radioactive and nobody wants to touch it but it's i think actually of the parties the nats come out looking better here than than masson does just because the nats in their statement at least if if you believe what they said which is we heard about this we asked him to be removed which is all they can do because they're not his employer but they have to approve the people who do their broadcast so they basically said hey we want him off while you investigate this and then Masson apparently did a really super duper thorough investigation in like 36 hours or three days or whatever and decided that it was fine for him to go back on. And then the Nats saw more stuff online and said, no, we revoke our authorization of him on our broadcasts indefinitely. So it seems like Masson was ready to just move on from it and put him back on the air. And the Nats are the ones who revoked his revoked his ability to be on their broadcast. So it's a, just, it's a terrible, horrible situation. Yeah. And Masson doesn't care at all. And I was just saying to my husband today, we were talking about this and who are they going to get to replace him? And, you know, they have an opportunity here. And we've talked before about how the broadcast has been pretty low ranked for years among the people who look at the different broadcast teams around the league. And maybe you have an opportunity here to go out and get somebody really good, but Masson couldn't possibly care any less about the Nats broadcast, so I'm sure they won't go to any trouble to go out and hire somebody good. Yeah, like I like Dan, but Dan is a really mediocre to average commentator. It kind of just like begs the questions, like how did you rise up this quickly? 
Um, so I wonder. Yeah, I like Dan too, but I like, think they could go out and get someone with some experience who could really bring yeah. some cachet to the broadcast. And but again, I don't think Masson's going to pay anybody for that either. No. So like they're probably going to go former player. Um, I wonder if they bring back Bo Porter. They could go with someone like Ian Desmond, Michael Morris. Um, or I wonder else. if they might talk to Grant Paulson, who was on a couple of times, could have been a pinch. Yeah, when FP was gone. I thought he did a really good job. I think so, also. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be really interesting. And yes, the rumors are true. Um, I am accepting the position. So <laughs> congratulate to myself. Yes, it is I. Yep, Bob and Shaq, the new broadcast team. Now Bob's also gone. It's all three of us. Ah, I'm down. I'm down. I accept. Except. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the Nats, uh, the last place Nats. I know your handle has changed from first place Shaq to what is it? Not first place Shaq. I think it's like rough stretch Shaq. Oh, well, that's even more appropriate. (laughs) We're not playing very well right now. (laughs) No, we are not. Um, Although we talked, you know, we we mentioned earlier, we have a a great interview to play for you a bit later in the show with Destin Ligardo, who covers the Phillies. And uh, seems like we're not the only ones feeling that way about our clubs. But we will get to that later. So let's talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly since we last talked. Um, The good is the starting pitching. Max Scherzer has looked really good. Patrick Corbin, much improved from his earlier outings. And Joe Ross has, you know, he's had a lot of up and down, but very serviceable. Yeah, like the starting pitching we saw this weekend was fantastic patrick corbin had a quality start and at this point if patrick corbin can get you a quality start you pop champagne we've talked at nauseum about how bad he has been this year he gets you six quality innings he only gave a three runs in yankee stadium um against that lineup i was expecting the man to get absolutely bombarded yeah in that stadium with that lineup i was thinking he was going to get shelled oh absolutely like the short porch everyone in that lineup's like six foot twelve um and he looked really good joe ross again another great start he did walk five people but he only gave up two runs in it so he did a great job pitching around the situations he was pointing into wish he could have gone to and six seven strikeouts and seven strikeouts it's fantastic max an unreal start 7.1 innings Two hits, 14 strikeouts, which was a new state Yankee Stadium visiting pitcher record for K's. The previous record that. was 13. Absolutely mowed that lineup down. And this was a very, very strong outing for this uh, pitching rotation for a team that's strength is built around rotation, reminding everyone that this team's strength is still a starting rotation. And they're still a top-notch rotation in the league, despite their slow start. Yeah, I agree with that. Although, again, my thing with Ross is I, if it weren't for the walks, I could feel a lot more excited. But I just, you know, you can't walk that many people. And that the it was 10, 10 walks from the staff that day. And I don't know, it, it it's really hard to watch when the lineup is struggling so much to watch the pitchers give 10 free passes was super aggravating. I was not enjoying that game at all. But Max was amazing. It super pissed me off that they wasted his... Fantastic start. We'll get there. We'll get there. (laughs) We will. Okay. And let's talk about Kyle Finnegan. Yeah, like, I I, I was watching these games this weekend. I was thinking to myself, I was like, is Kyle Finnegan good? I Um, I had that exact, like, like literally verbatim in my brain. I was like, is is Kyle Finnegan 
good? Is he like, better than anybody's expected? Is he going to be one of those stories where you have this guy who comes out of nowhere in your bullpen and becomes one of your most reliable yeah, relievers? Like, um, when he came in, the first time I was like, oh, God, Kyle Finnegan. This weekend, he went two innings, two Ks, um, which you're like, well, that's not really that much, but it's pretty good. And then the last seven outings, he has a 2.7 ERA and a 0.9 whip. He's being really reliable. That is a big improvement that we saw last year. That is a step forward I don't think anyone saw coming. No. Um, I don't think anyone before the year looked at the roster and goes, oh, yeah, Kyle Finnegan, he's going to be the breakout guy this year. He's going to be the man, and he is. Um, again, it's early. It's May 10th right now. A lot can happen, but Kyle Finnegan needs his day. Like, need to honor and speak about how well he is doing in that bullpen at a time when Wander Suero's hurt. Um, who else? Who, who else? Who else got hurt? I'm completely blank on the name right now. Um, another. Oh well, Harris is back. Harris is back. Yeah, it was, it was someone else, Davey. Oh, um, Avalon, there we go. Oh, right, Luis Avalon. Yeah, yeah. in the time we are down two relievers, Harris is back, so it's down to one. But that is a much-needed step forward that this team really, really appreciates. And, yeah, I'm going to say Kyle Finnegan, might, he, he might be good. Yeah, he might be good. So that's on the good list for sure. But that will bring us to the bad, which is Brad Hand. Holy bad weekend. So... I was I was a little confused by this. So the Yankees have seen Brad Hand a lot. Mm-hmm. He's not a stranger to this team. Being in the American League, they know him. And they also hit 360 against him in this time at the American League. They see him very, very well. Now, Brad Hand has been absolutely lights out. He only gave up two earned runs this weekend, blew one save, and everyone's talking about how he's a waste of money. Those are the first two earned runs he's given up all year. He has a 1.5 ERA. He's been very lights out. You knew a bad outing was going to happen. The concern here, he couldn't find a strike zone to save his life. He couldn't locate his slider. So he for was two days in a row. For two days in a row. And then, like, he couldn't locate his slider, so he was throwing fastball. Well, he couldn't locate his fastball either. And then he was locating it. They're just hitting it. That was a little concerning to me. But I'm not going to be too concerned about it because bad days happen. Everyone is going to have a bad day, and Brad Hand just had his first bad day of the season. What's more interesting to me is the fact that he didn't have it in the one inning. Davey had him start the 10th inning, and I know it was a lefty, but the guy just wasn't throwing strikes. So I don't know why he went to someone else. Davey threw him out there. You know, walk the leadoff guy. They end up losing. Davey had him pitch the very next day after he threw 30 pitches to a lineup that sees him very, very well. You have runner on first and third, one out. John Carl stands up, who, by the way, has six home runs in the last 12 games entering the series. It was basically hitting 500. Base open. Aaron Hicks is on deck, who's a sub 200 hitter. Right. Ha- that, no sense at all. He has him face stand. Like, I don't get that. And then after the game, he was talking about how he didn't really have faith that he wouldn't walk in the game-winning run, which I get. You don't want to lose on the walk-off walk. That's absolutely unacceptable. But walk him, bring in Daniel Hudson for Hicks, and just see what happens. He had bases loaded one out. It was very clear that 
it wasn't Brad Hand's weekend. It was very clear after he was looking at the mound, fidgeting with it, trying to dry off his hand. He didn't have it entering the ninth inning, especially after 30 pitches. I didn't understand it. This was not Dave Martinez's finest weekend. No. And actually I was, I was, I'm a little concerned about hand because he, he, it's, wasn't just a bad day. It was two bad days. Although pitching the second day after you just pitch 30 pitches, you can kind of write that off. And he has been really, really good this season. So I'm less concerned about hand than I am about Davey because those decisions were, I understand you don't want to lose on a walk-off walk, but you had an open base. You had a much more favorable matchup and you could see that hand didn't have it. And I don't even know why when they were warming him up for the second day in a row, why, could you not see him throwing in the bullpen that he didn't have it? Like he couldn't find the strike zone. Are you telling me he was throwing it? He, he was looked good when he was warming up in the bullpen, but then he came in and couldn't find the strike zone. I don't think so. It just, it just makes no sense. It's frustrating because I'm going back to the stand thing again, because that really irritates me. There was a base open. If right. that's the Nats up there and there's a base open and Juan Soto comes up, Aaron Boone is walking Juan Soto, and they're going to pitch to whoever's behind them. Every team does. I don't know. That was very frustrating. I wouldn't have had him pitch after the 30 days, but this was a series that was extremely frustrating, and those tiny things like that scream out to you, especially those tiny coaching mistakes. They just stand out after a series like this. They do, and Davey has, you know, we've talked for years now about bullpen management, that is probably the the weakest link in Davies managerial game. But, um, you know, the, the World Series run aside when he was able to use his starters as relievers, which if you can bring Max Scherzer and Patrick Corbin out of your bullpen, then it's pretty hard not to make good bullpen decisions. But I think that there have already been several really worrisome and in really just boneheaded managerial decisions that have cost them games. And when they're, scuffling the way they are offensively you can't give games away this was a this was a series they could have swept they could have swept the yankees who were coming in hot and they had kept stanton very quiet through the weekend and i don't know it just it was so winnable it's one thing to go there and be like we're scuffling they're not and they beat us and that's cool i mean whatever it's baseball but when you you have it winnable when you have when you have the situation that you you could have taken at least one of those two yep games over the weekend you could have taken them both should have taken them both and and you don't because of you know bad managerial decisions now it's not only that i mean obviously you can't take the the, the offense looks like hell and we'll get to that but i just this was i'm much more concerned here about davy than i am about brad hand yeah and you mentioned how this was a very winnable series um that brings us to are ugly. I'm gonna, I was going to save what I had to say in response to that and be ugly for the weekend. It was, it was just a bad weekend. The offense this weekend, they, they, they looked good on, on Friday. You know, they scored 11 runs on 10 hits on Friday. Josh Bell hit a home run. Um, they had a huge eighth inning. Things were good. But then Saturday and Sunday come around, they scored five runs in the final 21 in, or sorry, 20 innings. Josh Bell had a over 10 with six strikeout streak. Josh Harrison went one for 13 in the series. Kyle Schwarber, who did hit the home run, went three for 13 in the series. Yadiel Hernandez went one for six in the series. Your two through five hitters, basically, were easy outs. That is what makes it so frustrating. The starting pitching was there. 
Max Scherzer went seven innings and struck out 14, you do not lose that game. That's why Jacob DeGrom, like it, that's why it's a miracle Jacob DeGrom hasn't killed him on the Mets because that's what he does basically every single night and gets a loss because his team can't score. It was just, that's why this was so frustrating. We talked about how the Mets series was the perfect series for the Nats, sorry, the Braves series for the Nats to get that movement, right? Get that separation, win that series. So if you had a very frustrating series like this, it's okay, but they didn't. They got swept by the Braves, and then they should have came back and swept the Yankees, but they couldn't get a clutch hit here. They made a bad mistake on the on, on defense. They made a bad mistake with the coaching, and they lost two or three. That's what separates the good teams from the bad teams, and that's what makes this team so frustrating right now because the Braves have won five of six. The Mets have won five in a row. The Phillies, who lost a very frustrating series as well and lost two or three, they've still lost six of four. The Nats have the biggest division deficit right now this year. Now, it's only three and a half games. It's only May 30th, on May 10th. There's a long way to go, but when they're not doing these little things right that separate the good teams from the bad teams, that's what makes it so frustrating because you just had a series you should have won. But instead, you threw it away by making little mistakes. And that's why this is so aggravating. Because, like I said, your number two hitter went one for 13 this series. Now, Josh Harrison's been absolutely lights out all year long. That's going to happen. But, man, was it a bad time for him to slump. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's the thing is, you know, we've seen this in years past where one or two hitters have to carry the whole offense. And if those guys slump, it's there's nothing. There's nothing going on. And, and Soto's back, which is great, but he's definitely not all the way back yet. He's not hitting like himself. And he will. But, again, you can't just rely on Soto and Trey to, to carry the whole, especially because they're up at the top of the order. And then the entire rest of the lineup is just, you know, like you said, if you, your two through five is an easy out, then, you know, the, the pitcher doesn't have to work very hard. And you can't drive in runs that way. It's, it is really, really frustrating. And it is easy to, to forget that it's May 10th. It's... It's very early in the season, and it's the other teams in the division have not separated themselves yet, but they are starting to get right. You can see other teams starting to play better. You know, they all, we had this opportunity during this month where nobody in the NL East was playing well to to try to get ahead, and uh, you know we're we've got weaknesses on this team, and if you could have struck while the iron was hot and taking that opportunity to get ahead of some of these other teams, you'd have a little cushion. You can have a bad series or two here or there and, and not lose too much ground. But after getting swept by the Braves and then losing two or three, you know, they're last place and three and a half games isn't that much, but three and a half games, another bad series against the Phillies could become five or six games. And, you know, it, they've got to get right if they want to not be left in the dust in the division. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with everything you're saying. You can't win a division in April and May, but you can lose it. It's yeah. May 10th, but you get the feeling that this series is massive. You've lost five of six. Like you said, everyone else is starting to figure out. The Braves are slowly getting healthier. The Mets, with who just lost to Grom for 10 days, but with off days, he's only going to miss one start through those 10 days. They've won five in a row. Everyone else is starting to slowly get it, and you're kind of scuffling. Like, your offense isn't really there. It's just things aren't 
you know, like I, I like it's just I don't really know how to put in the words because they should have won this series, but they did it. And it's absolutely infuriating. They have to win this series. They absolutely have to win this series. Yeah, you don't think of a series in, in the first half of May as being a must win, but this is as close as it could get. I mean, they they can't keep losing every series or they're going to they're going to find themselves out of it really quickly when because you know this this division was supposed to be the, one of the best divisions in baseball going into the season and they've everyone's been underperforming that is not going to continue it's just not they've got to take advantage which is a really good segue into the next um, segment here which is our interview that we did Nick and I did earlier today with Destiny Lagardo who has joined us once before on the pod she was kind enough to give us some time she writes for Phillies Nation if y'all don't already follow her it's at Destiny underscore Lagardo make sure you find her on Twitter and we hope you enjoy the interview <laughs> All right, we are welcoming to the show for the second time, Destiny Lagardo of Phillies Nation. Thanks so much for being back with us, Destiny. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. Um, thanks for having me. I enjoyed my first appearance on the podcast, so might as well come back on again. <laughs> Absolutely. That, that's good to know we didn't make you too upset that you're, you're willing to come back <laughs> no. on the second time. <laughs> I remember being very positive about this team, and honestly, right now, I'm not not feeling the same way I did in March. So <laughs> well, that, that's a, same. Yeah. That, that's <laughs> a perfect segue. Cause my first question for you was, you know, this is obviously the, the first time the Nats and Phillies will be playing this season. So uh, give us a, a quick recap of, of the first month of Phillies baseball and kind of how things should have played out and how things have played out. Well, I think this is a story for a lot of teams in baseball not a lot of teams are off to a very good start, and that kind of applies to the Phillies. It feels like this month and a half has just been so much drama that should be like spread over through 162 is somehow in five weeks of the season. They've been in so many close games. Their offense hasn't really gone off to a good start. The great thing is that their top three starters are actually pitching like their top three starters, but they've missed a lot of opportunities. And frankly, they really exhausted their fan base to a point where I, I just don't know how long we could continue just because every game has kind of been crazy. And I kind of expect that to, to go right into this national series. It's just not going to be a normal series. And normal series have been few and far between for the Nats as well. So far. Yeah. <laughs> they just had a pretty tough one against the Yankees, but um, a couple of good things going on, I guess, lately. Um, I wanted to ask you about Odubel Herrera, who obviously is not off to a good start overall, but is lately looking like he's surging a little bit. What are you seeing? And uh, is that kind of a hopeful sign for the Phillies right now? I don't know if I would say it's a hopeful sign. In one of the Atlanta series, it looked like he was being aggressive in the zone, and that was, you know, kind of helping with his results. But I see a guy who just hasn't seen a lot of MLB pitching, and rightfully so. I mean, he got suspended in 2019 for reasons that I don't know if you want to get into, but he obviously was suspended for domestic violence. Um, they pretty much ignored him for 2020, and then for some reason this year, their messaging is, hey, we can't keep him out longer than you know the union and the, the league kind of made this agreement that Players need second chances or they're pretty much entitled to. So they're giving Odubel Herrera a chance in center field. They don't have very many options, but I don't know. It seems like 
they're really happy with some of the adjustments he's made. Um, and they kind of think that results are going to come by. But if you look at it in a whole, there's been historically bad production in center field. And somehow with the Phillies, like things just can't be bad. Like one area has to, in the team has to be historically bad. Last year it was the bullpen. <laughs> this year it's center field production. But I, Joe Girardi has been pretty adamant. Like we're going to give him a chance. And I feel like he's going to be at least the center, the starting center fielder for the next few weeks. So yeah, I, I don't know if it's the right way to go. They gave Mickey Moniak, their former number one overall pick, pretty much a cup of coffee as like the starter in center field. And he struggled a little bit, but I, I kind of saw that he was adjusting well in the majors and then they sent him down and then brought Odubel up. And then for right now, they're, they're pretty much committed to him. Is that something that's controversial with the fan base, given the, the situation last year and the suspension and all of that? Is that something that's kind of a point of contention? Yeah, it is. It's kind of weird because I was there the first night that he came back to Citizens Bank Park and the boos weren't, you know, overwhelming loud. I know there's 10,000 people in the park, so it's not it's going to be different as opposed to if there was like 30 or 40,000. But at least I know on social media, if you ask some really adamant Phillies fans, they're not happy at all about just someone who committed a a violent crime being on their team and rightfully so. And then other people are like, well, you know, he served his suspension. He should get a second chance. And they have that opinion. And I I think, I mean, for me, I, I try to see it both ways, but it, it is, it is kind of, it's controversial, but the Phillies this whole time, they've been like, Oh, like there's not much we could do about it. I, I just don't, I don't know if that's really the whole story, but, in a baseball perspective, they don't have very many options. Adam Hazley was, um, he's still on the restricted list. It was kind of sad. I, I don't really know what's going on with him, but for right now, he's not a part of the the present day plans. Um, Roman Quinn is on the IL because he, he was bunning and he got hit in the, the pinky, I guess. Um, that was kind of unfortunate for him because he looked like he was heating up. And then Scott Kingery, he just can't, he can't hit at all. Like something, something terribly wrong happened to him or something, but yeah, it's, it's controversial, but for right now, Odubel is their center fielder. It's funny just hearing, you know, you talk about the Phillies, just how many similarities the Nats and Phillies actually do have. I mean, you, you just mentioned Scott Kingery not being able to hit and he was a prize prospect. We have Carter Keboom who literally can't hit to save his life. Um, you talked about not getting All that any... rec- Victor Robles too on that. Yeah, well, I was going to say <laughs> oh. they, they, the Phillies haven't gotten anything from their center fielder. Victor Robles is one of the worst players on the team. Um, but one other thing that the Phillies and Nats obviously have had in common in recent years was historically bad bullpens um obviously the the phillies were the most recent victim of a pablo sandoval pinch hit home run recently uh-huh. and i saw joe girardi said that naris is still gonna be the closer but i did see archie bradley is nearing a return do you think he's going to be the closer when he uh gets back i think they're really committed to hector naris look he's had a few outings where he's struggled but for the most part I do think Hector Neris has done enough to keep that job. A lot of people will disagree with me just because, you know, he's the longest tenured Philly. He's been there since 2014, and there's been a lot of ups and downs with him, but his splitter is elite. Um, he could get a ground ball out when he can. Um, just sometimes it was weird last year. He just didn't give up a home run. It's it's kind of a stat that you hear and you say, well, that's definitely not true. But, um, yeah, Hector Neris is their closer. I don't 
think they're even close to looking at a change. Um, but Archie Bradley is going to be a big addition when he gets back. He's a guy that could give you two innings or so. And just, you know, they, they've had this really like long stretch of baseball where they had to burn pretty much every reliever and every game they play. So it kind of just guys that are, we're expected to be in like higher leverage situations like a Connor Brogdon can kind of step down a little bit and then Archie Bradley could take their place. So Joe Girardi is a guy that likes to find roles. And when he gets Archie Bradley back, it seems the bullpen's a little more settled than it was in the last couple weeks. Yeah. Okay. We've, yeah, there's definitely, well, and the bullpen had nowhere to go but up after last season. Yeah, exactly. so certainly, certainly much improved. Um, I want to talk, speaking of pitching about Nola's outing. Um, obviously there was actually some injury concern for him after such a, an uncharacteristically bad outing against the Braves, just four innings, I believe it was 58 pitches. Um, and yeah, and there are lots of, it was of, the shortest uh, outing of his career. Yeah, exactly. And there are lots of offensive issues to, you know, to point out in that game too, but just what, what was that something that's concerning or just a, Hey, he didn't have his stuff that day. We're brushing it off and he'll be fine next time. Or I saw your tweet earlier today saying that there weren't injury concerns. What are you hearing on, on that front? Yeah. He, Joe Girardi was asked in the post game yesterday, if there was anything wrong with Nola and he said, no, it's, just he didn't have his command yesterday and that happens when he's struggling it's one or two things are wrong with him he either just doesn't have his fastball command or he makes that one pitch that just completely destroys him kind of like on opening day Pablo Sandoval I know you were talking about that earlier he came up to the plate he completely the pitch was supposed to be outside and then it came inside and then Sandoval just absolutely crushed that but yeah I, I look I I'm someone who's definitely not concerned about Aaron Nola. It'll take a lot for me to say that there's something deeply wrong with him. He's a guy that'll consistently go six or seven innings. He'll strike out a bunch of guys. In his last start, he had a 30-pitch inning against the Brewers, and then he kind of fought off his struggles and ended up giving the team six innings, and that's what an ace does. Um, and innings or outings like the one he had in, on Sunday is just few and far between for him, but for some reason, when he does have those outings, Philadelphia fans kind of want to, you know, have this debate where they say he's just not the ace pitcher that, you know, the Phillies need him to be. And that's, it's totally not right. If I could just cite as many facts as I can and say that he's one of the best pitchers in all of baseball in the last few years. And somehow that just kind of goes over everyone's head. It does seem like they don't quite, he doesn't quite get the love maybe <laughs> that he deserves in Philadelphia. Yeah. Yeah, I think they compare him to, you know, Cliff Lee and Roy Halladay yeah, were amazing here. Yeah, mm-hmm. they yeah. they love their greats, and then if you're not as good as their greats, then um, just they're just going to find a yeah, way to tear you apart. That's just a general, to yeah, <laughs> it's a general Philly. Mm-hmm. It's a Philly thing. It's like if we talk about Ben Simmons, it's, oh, he doesn't shoot even though he's this elite defender. Um, just, I, I don't know, this is a little bit off topic, but the Sixers are like, probably the best team in the NBA and, you know, sports talk radio is trying to find a way to say, to, to complain about them in any way. That's just how it is in Philly. I don't know how it is in Washington, but I assume that Washington really appreciates Max Scherzer. There's a lot of good reasons why, but. Yeah. Washington's it's the exact opposite where they can do no wrong. Exactly. It's all homers here. Yeah. So it's, it's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's no, no, it's frustrating. Uh, yeah, a balance would be good. Yeah, exactly. Kind exactly. Of, yeah, understand when a player is good and then kind of realize that I I, I, I don't know how. Everyone has room like, for improvement. Like, you know, 
but exactly speaking of room for improvement uh you know another similarity between the nats and the phillies is their production offensively from their first baseman obviously the, the nats acquired josh bell at the deadline he's been anything but what we had hoped for and the phillies have reese hoskins who recently just got dropped in the lineup to seventh uh share with us your thoughts on that and kind of where does reese hoskins go from here and how long of a, of a leash does he have because it seems like ever since his debut and he came up hitting all those home runs he hasn't really been the same player since yeah it was just kind of it was daunting to see him drop to seven just because he's been in the the middle of the lineup for so long i in my opinion it's not really uh you know, Reese Hoskins, he has been struggling a little bit, but it's not about his struggles. It's more about Gene Segura has just been tearing the cover off the ball. He makes contact whenever he's up there, seemingly. So they have to get him in the number two spot. Maybe I would I would have dropped Alec Bone probably because his struggles have been more prevalent, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But with Reese Hoskins, the first week of the season, it looked like he was going to be the best hitter on the team. He was, oddly enough, just not not walking, which is that's his signature. He could just kind of, you know, walk his way onto a really high on-base percentage. But, yeah, he was hitting homers. He was going the other way, and that's kind of what he is when he's hot. And then he just has these stretches where he he kind of looks lost at the plate. Um, and at this point in his career, I think it's it's kind of it's, it is who he is. Like, he's going to have these really, really hot streaks where he's carrying the team and he can win games for them. And then there's times where he's just struggling. And it kind of is what it is right now. Um, I don't really see it as he's fighting for a spot in the lineup because he's he's our first baseman. I know they have Brad Miller on the bench and I'm a big fan of Brad Miller. And it's going to be hard for him to get reps when this lineup is healthy. But, yeah, it's just you know, initially when you say, or when you see that Reese Hoskins is batting seven, it's like, oh, like, like what's going on here? It's just, right. you know, this lineup when, when it's healthy, when it's hitting well, it's really deep. So, you know, DD could be batting seventh and, you know, he's not a seven hole hitter, but that's just how the lineup is right now. But yeah, Reese will be fine. I, I don't know if he'll heat up, you know, in this national series, but and just in general, it's probably something that you want to talk about later. The Phillies are just an awful road team. So if you're a Nationals fan, I'd feel pretty good about the team's chances of taking the series or even sweeping just because the, the Phillies just somehow they can't find a way to win outside of Citizens Bank Park. Well, Nats fans are delusional, so they feel great about any series. Regardless of, you know, the peripherals or anything else. Yeah, Destiny, I'm definitely the more homer of the three of us on the podcast, too. So I get get a lot of knocks (laughs) for that. But, um, yeah, I, you you know, it's hard for Nats fans to feel good right now because the offense is is underproducing really badly. Um, It kind of I guess I'm just curious for an outside of D.C. perspective, when you look at the Nats right now as somebody who follows the Phillies so closely. Kind of what are you expecting to see this series as far as strengths and weaknesses for the Nats or things that the Phillies might have the opportunity to take advantage of? Yeah, the weird thing about the Phillies and this this relates to the Nationals is that they've been avoiding every team's ace in the last what five or six series and somehow they're not gonna face Max Scherzer. So that's that's hope for them, but I don't know. I I kind of see going into this whole season that the Nationals were going to be carried on their pitching. Um, and I mean, Scherzer has been doing well, but I, I just kind of don't see that right now. Um, and I kind of see like a really thin lineup and I'm not sure if is Juan Soto fully healthy right now. That's, that's my question. 
he's back in the lineup at yeah. the, the end of the Yankees series. Um, I don't know. His, he does, he's hitting. I mean, he hit a nice home run at Yankee Stadium, but he doesn't seem to be fully... I don't Probably think his timing's like 85%, fully back 85%, 90%, well enough to hit. Yeah, but, it's... Yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of strange because that's where Bryce Harper is right now. He came back from that... It, it's weird because he was hit in the face with a 96-mile-an-hour sinker, and the problem is his wrist because the ball kind of hit his cheek and his nose, and then it deflected off his left wrist. And, sorry, wrist, I don't know why I was pronouncing it that weird, but <laughs> um, he doesn't look... He, he doesn't look 100% right now. He um, was 0 for 9 in his last few at-bats. So, um, yeah, it's it's kind of strange that, you know, Juan Soto and Bryce Harper are kind of in this, like, weird position where they're playing, they're they're starting, but they might not be, you know, they might not have their full powers right now. But, yeah, I mean, it's kind of, I don't know if you guys agree with this, but a lot of national people, I, I feel like, we're high on the Nationals because of, you know, their pitching and Soto and their bullpen. But the Phillies and the Nationals, and, and you guys said this before, like they have a lot of the same problems and top heaviness is, is a really big problem with the Phillies. And I, I that's a problem with the Nationals too. Um, so I don't know. The Nationals, the, the Phillies, they're a game over 500, but they just haven't been playing their best baseball. And the Nationals have a chance to, kind of make some ground in this series. So I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be too like hopeless right now if you're just feeling down about the team. Cause you know, for any NLEs team, if you face the Phillies, you should see it as an opportunity to kind of get back on your feet. Yeah. We it's were just you, saying that on the yeah. last episode about <laughs> yeah, the Nationals. You that. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, right now, no NLEs team is separating themselves. So if it, it's all a matter of who can stay afloat, during this, you know, stretch where people yeah. are injured and trying to get back. And then we'll see in, in June and July who really starts to separate themselves, you know, with a healthy roster and, and any deadline moves. Uh, I actually wanted to ask about Bryce Harper because uh, obviously he seemingly avoided a major injury after, you know, the, the big scare with the fastball to the face, which actually might be messing with him mentally too because if anyone gets hit with a 96-mile-an-hour you know, fastball to the face, your your timing and, you know, offensive uh, abilities might be a little off just, you know, with PTSD or flashbacks or anything. So, um, but obviously Bryce Harper is is and always will be a huge point of contention among Nats fans. Uh, I think it really is 50-50 with people who appreciate what he did for us and then, um, you know, other half hate him for going to a division rival. Uh, I just wanted to get a Phillies fan's perspective of Bryce Harper. He's entering year three with you guys. Um, What's your opinion of Bryce Harper? Has Phillies Nation kind of embraced him? Or is it just like, oh, you know, like you talked about with Ben Simmons, you know, elite defender but can't shoot threes. Is that kind of the same thing going on with uh, Bryce Harper? Yeah, I I mean, I talked about that, but I wouldn't say at the moment, like they're like Phillies fans are in a position to kind of, you know, kind of down him for whatever reason. Like it, that first April, it seemed like this was going to be his best season with the Phillies and people needed to appreciate this. And I was this is something that I was randomly thinking about um, earlier, you know. Bryce, like, I, I was listening to an interview with Brandon Kinsler, and he's just an awesome guy to hear talk. Like, he's just, you know, insane. Um, it, it's kind of, it's incredible. But 
I was hearing him talk about how Bryce Harper was when he was with the Nationals. And Kevin Franzen also said this, that, you know, one-on-one, when you talk to Bryce, he's a great guy. And then when the team kind of comes into the clubhouse, he kind of goes into a shell. Um, And, you know, this was kind of a strong statement from Brandon, but when he was a national, it wasn't his team. But with the Phillies, like, this is, like, definitely his franchise. He's a guy who... You know, when he came in the clear water, all the questions were about, like, what did you think about the offseason? He takes a, a really keen interest in the farm system because, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense. Like, he's going to be here for 11 years. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of what, what rides upon, like, his chances of winning are the Phillies' ability to develop talent. Um, he kind of seems like a, I don't know, he's he seems like a leader and he seems very, like, comfortable in this franchise. I don't, I wasn't, you know, I, I'm not really you know, looking to see back then, like how he was with the Nationals, but it seems like he's really comfortable here and it kind of shows on the field. Um, he could hit for power. He's, you know, that elite on, elite on base guy. Um, so, yeah, I think Phillies fans are fully embracing Bryce Harper. There are going to be tough years, especially when he ages and, um, you know, just kind of looking at how this whole Albert Pujols situation kind of played out, just that end of that contract, um, I, I, I don't, I don't know if it'll, it'll be that bad. And, but I, I really hope it, it's not, you know, he, he's struggling the last five years and it's just going to be, it kind of taints like what he does in the beginning of the contract. But so far, like, it seems like a happy marriage between Bryce Harper and Phillies fans. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I, it was kind of like, uh, and the Dodgers will go through with Mookie Betts and, uh, Padres with Tatis and, uh, maybe the, the Braves with Acuna, but it is that kind of old school deal. I think actually Albert Pujols might be the perfect example where it's like the, the first half of the deal is kind of where you expect you to get most of your production. And then you kind of just accept whatever happens for the latter part. Um, so I, I think, you know, that makes sense. And uh, it's good to see, you know, I, I'm always going to be a fan of Bryce Harper. I appreciate what he did here. So it's good to see he's taking an interest in, you know, the prospects and the young guys and trying to, you mm-hmm. know, uh, maintain knowledge on all of them. Uh, one other guy I wanted to ask to see just how much Phillies fans are embracing him, and that's Joe Girardi, um, you know. <laughs> I, I it just, you know, from, from the, uh, a Nats fan's perspective, it seems like there's always going to be some, you know, feelings one way or another for whoever the Phillies manager is, whether it's Joe Girardi, Gabe Kapler, or whoever. Um, but I, I just wanted to see, you know, how Phillies fans are feeling recently about Joe Girardi because there's been plenty of, you know, documented uh, uh, things about Joe Girardi's managerial abilities in New York and previously. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that as well. Yeah, it's not going well. Um, <laughs> and it's succinct. I like it. So, <laughs> it, <laughs> like, the thing about Joe Girardi is they paid him the big dollars and he came after Gabe Kapler. So, the expectation was that he was supposed to be this old school manager who would call out his players when need be. Um, and I think Phillies fans have to realize that those days are pretty much like gone. Like, every MLB manager is just going to stick up to their players. And that's just how it is but I've you know last year you couldn't really fault him just because that bullpen was so bad and there wasn't really much he could do so um 
I guess people are like, well, Girardi didn't do a good job in his first year, but we can't really judge just because what he had just wasn't up to par. Um, but I've been pretty baffled with some of the things that have happened so far. Um, I mean, there's been a couple of times where he's had a reliever who just hasn't had his stuff and he just kept them in and then it kind of it backfired on him. I'm working right now on looking at all of his double switches. And this is kind of a, I guess, a running joke on Philly's Twitter. Like Joe Girardi loves to double switch somehow. And in the Atlanta series, it was infuriating to see him double switch Gene Segura, who's just been the team's best hitter right now for Nick Maton, who's a very good player. Um, he's very good defensively. He could be a very a good player for them for the rest of the year if they, you know, decide not to have him go to AAA or whatever. But it, I, I don't – Joe Girardi, I, it's just – it's kind of strange because you see a guy with the resume that he has and then somehow he just has his struggles. Um, there was a, a game in the Brewer series where they had a pitcher come out to the mound um, – and this is so like strange. The, the lineup card that the umpires had didn't have that pitcher's name on them. Oh, that's on right. the on the card. I remember so, that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that pitcher couldn't throw, and they won that game. So it didn't really cost them. But um, the process of just getting the lineup to the league is kind of ridiculous. And part of me just doesn't have that much anger towards Joe for doing that. But if you're a big league manager, you should kind of be more aware of, you know, the lineup cards and whatnot. Um, so that it wasn't a good look for him, obviously. Um, but it, it's really, it's because the whole idea of hiring a manager like Joe, and maybe this is kind of maybe not really realistic to think about is that a manager is supposed to add wins that, they're supposed to be more, mm -hmm. the team's supposed to be more intense. They might be better on the road with a, a winning manager like Joe Girardi, but that hasn't really happened yet. Um, and then it's also frustrating for Phillies fans to see Gabe Kapler succeed with the San Francisco Giants because it seems like he's a manager who made a lot of silly mistakes and there were, there were definitely issues when he was with Philly, but he seems to have, you know, taken the lessons that he had when he was a, a young manager in Philly, then now he he's kind of applying them in San Francisco and it's working. So yeah, when you, when you bundle up all that frustration, it's kind of understandable that there's, there's not a lot of patience with Joe. Sometimes maybe it's a little overdone just because I think people, there's some people that just really hate Joe. And then there are some decisions that make sense. They're like, why did he do this? And it's like, well, like it does make sense. And you kind of just are annoyed with him, but yeah, it's hard to be the manager of the Phillies just because, you know, we talked about Phillies fans. They get frustrated really easily. Well, you said they did. Maybe it was a little overdone. I think it's fair to say this isn't meant to be an insult, but that the fans things being a little overdone with the fans maybe is a theme. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. It's not insulting at all because it's completely true. <laughs> Oh, fantastic. Okay, so um, can we get from you your official prediction for this series? What do you think is going to happen when these two teams face I off? think the Nationals are going to win two or three. Um, Chase Anderson is on the mound for them on Tuesday. You could kind of, Phillies fans can expect what they have expected of Chase Anderson, maybe able to get four and two thirds. Um, and that's that's really an opportunity for the Nationals offense to kind of get the ball rolling just because you know he's a definitive number five starter and not much else there um 
the problem is, is that you guys are facing Zach Wheeler and Zach Eflin and Zach Eflin has been incredible for this team. It's, it's really, it's enlightening to see him kind of, I wouldn't like, I, I would say that he was really good in 2020, but for him to kind of bring that into 2021, um, they have expectations for him to be a top of the line starter. And he's kind of living up to that right now, even though it's early. And then Zach Wheeler just coming off that complete game shutout. Um, it's going to be tough for the Nats offense, but um, somehow they've been finding a way to ruin very good starts from their very good starters. So, um, and combine that with the fact that the Phillies are just an awful team on the road and their track record minus last year against the Nationals is brutal. Um, I would say the Nationals win two or three, and I would not be surprised at all if the Nationals sweep. I would. <laughs> I would, too. And I have to say, if we were going to give this series a name, I think we could call it the ruining very good starts by their very good starters bowl. Not yeah. The... Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it's funny you mentioned Chase Anderson, too, and, you know, um, his four and two-thirds habit because he's going up against Eric Fetty, who's notorious for not pitching past the fifth inning. So we might have a, a four and two-thirds innings off oh. on Tuesday. Fetty has been a little better lately. Yeah, his but, five two seven ERA really speaks volumes to the success. I said better. I didn't say good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, all things. They're going to make relative. Eric Fetty look like a, a Cy Young Award winner. <laughs> all right. Well, that's a prediction. We'll have to we'll have to yeah. get that one and post that one on Twitter. <laughs> we won't do that to you. We won't do that to you. No, you can. You can. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that is all we have for you. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you coming back and joining us again. It was great to get to talk to you since I didn't get to um, talk to you the last time you were on the show. And hopefully we can do it again the next time these teams have another uh, series. Yeah. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks, Nick. I appreciated the time right. and talking about the Phillies and the Nationals and how how much they've depressing been depressing. How are. similarly yeah. depressing they are. If, and for those of you exactly. listening, if you don't already follow Destiny on Twitter, you should. Her handle is at Destiny underscore Legardo. Thanks so much. Thanks, Destiny. Thank you again so much to Destiny. It was great to talk Phillies and get a little preview of this series with the Nats. We will all find out. She's She doesn't seem any more optimistic about their chances against us than we do about our chances against them but it's funny because when we had her on to start the year doing the preview she was really optimistic about this team and then she mentioned that and then said i'm not feeling nearly so good about it all now <laughs> joe girardi is doing the number on them which is like really funny because i really want them as a manager but now seeing how everyone with the phillies hates him yeah but got, the phillies fans hate everyone in his defense. that's true they're nuts um, Phillies fans, if you guys are listening to this, we love you guys. We're just kidding. You're a survival. Yes, exactly. Keep listening. Anyway, thanks to Destiny. Uh, make sure you check her out on Twitter at Destiny underscore Legardo. Yes. All right. Game. So, game. 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 So we're gonna do, we're gonna we're gonna play a game, Amanda. All right. right. We're gonna play a game. Um, the Nats have played 30 games. If this was last year. That would have been the halfway point of the season. Oh, that's brutal. But it's not. They're not even at the 25% mark yet. There's still 132 games left, but we have a month under our belt. So I have three questions for you. The first okay. two are pretty simple. The third is from a listener, so we're going to do that one at the end. I ask you this. Through the first 30 games, what is the most surprising and the most disappointing part about this team? It can be a group. 
It can be a player. It can be absolutely anything you want. What is the most surprising part? Okay, most surprising thing so far. I guess I would say the bullpen has been really, really good. And I know that on paper they were a lot better going into this season than they had been in the past, but I still didn't have high hopes, especially with all the weirdness with Jeremy Jeffress and the injuries, and I, I didn't expect much of them, and they have been a pleasant surprise. Um, if they can, if, if the offense can round into form with the, the starting pitching looking good and the much improved bullpen, I think the team could things could look a lot more optimistic. So I'll call the bullpen my most surprising thing so far. I mean, it's a good one, you know. <laughs> I mean, like, I feel like we all have PTSD from the bullpens of years past, of yesteryear, <laughs> that we've all seen just absolutely ruin this team year in and year out and ruin the playoffs. So the fact that the Nats have a pretty decent bullpen right now is honestly really surprising. Um, my most surprising... I'm going with Joe Ross. I know Nick is a big Joe Ross guy, but he kind of got thrown around starter. Is he a reliever? Is he a starter? And then he was off all last season. You still don't really know what's going to happen with these pitchers considering the type of workload increase that they're facing this year. But so far this season, he's been playing really well. Um, He does have a 4-2 ERA through six games, 31 innings, 28 strikeouts, a 1.29 whip. He is your number five. You take a four-two-five ERA from your number five every single time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just around league average. He's had some really lights out starts. He did have an absolute abysmal start in there that's helping balloon that ERA. But your number five starter has a four-point-five ERA. Really, really good. I am pleasantly surprised what I'm seeing from Joe Ross this year. I wasn't expecting him to look this solid, and it's been really great to see. So. I like that one. And if you take out that one really bad start where he gave up 10 runs, I don't know what exactly the ERA would look like, but it would be damn impressive. Oh, yeah. It'd be much. It honestly probably would be almost a full point letter. Um, it was it was a really bad start. We also talk about it. But... <laughs> We're moving on from that. <laughs> so on the other hand of that, we have our most surprising. What is your most disappointing through the first 30 games? Oh, this one's easy for me. It's Josh Bell. I know we were all, it's, it's not that I'm surprised because we talked about, you know, when they first, when they first got him, we talked about, well, he only really had that one good half of the season and what can we expect from him? And we talked about it, but I'm so disappointed in what we've gotten from him so far. And he seems like a really great human. He's taken on the Anthony Rendon's role at the Nats Baseball Academy. He's got this book club. He seems like an awesome guy, but oh my goodness, watching him play baseball right now is brutal. And I'm just terribly disappointed because this was the big move that the Nats made to try to protect Juan Soto in the lineup. And it is thus far a complete and abject failure. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> his ERA, I'm not Zeri, excuse me. His OPS is below 600 or right <laughs> oh around the 600 mark. It hurts. Like, I, I wasn't, I, I expected him to be around 850 OPS considering who was hitting around. I didn't expect him to be this absolute abysmal. Um, and, like, I feel bad just because, like, it's kind of low-hanging fruit at this point. Everyone knows he sucks so far this year. His um, average is 141, by the way. I just looked like, it up after this weekend. I just, just brutal. I just I, I want him to be good so bad. No, <laughs> his OPS uh, is 517. Sorry, I had to Oh, uh, God. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, they I want like, him to be good. They gave like Will Crow, and now everyone's like, man, did Nats lose this trade? It's too early to say that, by the way. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying what Twitter is saying. Like, I want him to be good so badly. He is a nice guy. He's doing his book club. He's uh, His book this month is The Mental Aspect of Baseball. Nationals, please give that ball to, that um, book to Carter Keboom ASAP because Carter Keboom needs that. Homie is in his head big time, even in AAA. But I just want him to be good. And we are seeing an abomination of a start. Like, he went over 10 with six strikeouts. That's rather impressive, but not in a good way. Um, yes, not in a good way. So my most disappointing, and I'm not going to go offense here just because I kind of feel like everyone else on offense is doing what they're kind of doing. Um, Victor Robles, his average and his OPS are getting a lot closer to his career averages. So he's just doing what he always does. So I'm not going to do him. Jan Gomes has actually been a pretty pleasant surprise, but my biggest disappointment through 30 games right now is Patrick Corbin. He is making a lot of money and I was expecting a pretty decent year for him. I know he talked about how the layoff last year and how everything just shut down, threw him off. He just couldn't get back in the rhythm. I thought with a normal off season, a normal spring training, he would. I was wrong. Um, He's one to three with a 7.36 ERA. He has 29 29 innings pitch, a 1.53 whip. I've talked in great detail on Twitter and on this podcast about how his changeup, not changeup, his slider isn't what it used to be. Not sliding. You know, you got to hope it's going to get there because that's a little bit of concern. He does have a couple, you know, a couple pretty promising starts. The last two. Um, you know, he went six innings, gave up three runs. That's a really good start that we really, really need more of. And but right now, man, he's just been, he's been so bad and it's kind of hard to ignore. So yeah, Josh, I'm mean, not Josh, excuse me. Patrick Corbin is by far my biggest disappointment this year. That's a really good one because when you think about what he's being paid versus the the production, that is a massive disappointment. I think you're right though. There have been some promising signs. But other than a hit here and there, like I don't see a lot of promising signs coming from Bell. And he looks lost at the plate most of the time. And that's the thing with Bell. Like so his peripherals and his uh, analytics say, oh, he's going to turn it around soon. He's due. But the eye test says the man doesn't know how to play baseball anymore. He's not even taking good at bats. Like I saw him over the weekend just swinging at stuff that was bouncing before the plate. Like I know coming to a new team, there's a lot of pressure and you got COVID. That sucks. There may still be some adverse effects there. There's guys in all the leagues that got COVID and weren't the same after. It could be this. We don't know. Or he could just be doing what he did last year. Which, if he did, we're screwed. <laughs> yeah, not to put too fine a point on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I kind of uh, feel though, and I'll tell you another one. I almost picked was Robles because I know it's not that surprising because he's struggled like this before. But when he comes up to bat, I'm just like dejected. I'm like, oh, here, you know, here's the end of the rally, or here's the end of the inning, or. You know, I just expect bad things to happen when he comes to the plate. And again, he's another one like Bell. I want Robles to be good so much. I'm pulling for him. I want good things for him. I want him to put it together. But he looks terrible at the plate right now. I mean, the idea even that we thought he could be our leadoff guy is so laughable right now. You have to hide him at the bottom of the lineup. It's terrible. 
I mean, it's just, yeah, I mean, he's not taking those strides forwards that you were expecting him to. And it's kind of like I, I put all these stats on the Half Street High Heat Twitter account the other day, realizing no one's not, no one's going to be able to understand what any of this means. If his defense steeps staying like this, it's okay. It's frustrating and disappointing because he's not the superstar five-tool player that he was touted to be. That's frustrating about this. As long as Robles keeps that defense, it's fine. Josh Bell and Kyle Schwarber are in the middle of the lineup, and I get that same feeling when they came up. There's been one time this year. I think it was over this weekend. Josh Bell hit a double, and then Kyle Schwarber hit a home run. And I was like, oh, my goodness, it took 30 games for them to do what we brought them in to do. Right, and it's only been (laughs) once, so let's see a little bit more of that. But, you know, speaking of not putting a decent at-bat together, was it which game was it? Was it this weekend or the series before? I can't remember where the bases were loaded and Robles came up and popped out on one pitch. I was like, you can't even put together a – a decent at bat like you can't even foul off a couple of pitches or take a pitch or two like really a first pitch pop out it's just so frustrating it makes me insane it was and then i think it was like the very next night he's up again in that like similar situation he takes two fastballs down the middle he then works the count and then he gets called strike three on the horrible pitch yeah yep I know it's a it's funny. So anyway, in our most disappointing segment here, we actually have plenty of things to talk about. Apparently, Which, like, it's it's fair. Like this this season has not gone how the Nats expected it. It has not gone how the fans have expected it at all. And like it's only thirty games. There's still 132 to go, but it's been a rough 30 games. It has to, to say the least. Like it's okay to be frustrated at this. The front office said they put together a 90-win team. I don't think this team gets to 90 wins. I never really thought they did. I feel like the holes on this team are being exposed very loudly, very early on. Sometimes it's better for that to happen early than it is to happen late. We saw yeah, maybe they can make some adjustments to it if it's happening early. Exactly. 2019 was a miracle. That's not going to happen again. You can't keep building Sorry, excuse me. You can't keep digging yourselves into holes like this and expect to come out. No. You just you just can't. At some point, you're going to have to start winning these close games. At some point, you're going to have to start doing those little things right so things are going your way. you got to start winning these low-scoring games because your offense isn't good. Like, they're struggling mightily right now. You're going to have to figure out how to win a 3-2, 4-3 ball game. You're just going to have to. You're going to be in a lot of those situations because your pitching is going to keep other teams from scoring. They walked 10 guys this weekend and only gave up three runs in that game. I know. It was actually kind of amazing when you look at it that way. But, yeah, I one thing that kind of gives me hope is I try to keep it. You know, we had that four-game winning streak and everything seemed so much sunnier. You know, like, you're like okay, well, they're getting it together. They're doing fine. Like, baseball's a long season. They they win a series or two, sweep one here, you know, in the next few series. We're going to start feeling a lot better about this club. But it is extremely frustrating right now to see just – to see this offense scuffle every single game and you think, okay, well, everybody gets – like you were saying about the pitchers, everybody gets a bad day sometimes. This is way past a bad day. Like, they need to figure it out. And I, you know, and I think we won't talk about this now. We, maybe this is a topic for when we record next. But I think at some point you have to start thinking about changing up the Josh Bell, Ryan Zimmerman dynamic. As I said on Twitter, tomorrow's the last day Josh Bell gets until I start slandering him. Which, by the way, 85 people like that tweet. 
Um, but then my positive tweet about Josh Bell only got 30 likes. So <laughs> what that proves to me the people is, are telling you what they want. <laughs> <laughs> the people like my slander. Because when I tweeted out that I was going to hate John Lester for no reason, I got like 200 likes. Monty wrote an article about it. People like my slander. My slander is going to come. Josh Bell, you're on thin ice right now, bucko. Well, last time he was one day away, he had a good game and staved off the inevitable. But yeah, so point, I was like, I was like, you know what? That's a four RBI game, buddy. That's what I like to see. You're not going to do it. But then, you know, he went to New York and bad things happened. Bad things happened indeed. Okay. What's the third question in our 30 game spectacle segment? Yes. So this one comes from one of our listeners. Um, this comes from Twitter user at B underscore Randon. He wants to know, would you give a contract extension to Josh Harrison? He says guy has been electric and could be locked up for very, very cheap. So would you give Josh Harrison a contract extension? 100% yes. I mean, it depends on the contract, of course. But he ain't, he ain't getting more than like $3 million. Exactly. I think that's a no-brainer. He's, he's one of those spark plug guys who is just producing way beyond what he's being paid. I think that's an absolute no-brainer. Yes, I would give him a contract extension in a heartbeat. Yeah, I agree. Um, he doesn't have the clutch hits yet, but he's kind of like what Howie was to this lineup. Yeah. You didn't really consider him or expect him to be a producer, but he just produced day in and day out. He was a spark plug in the lineup, in the dugout, all those different places, and can play a lot of positions, which helps a lot, like also how he did. Um, so yeah, I would absolutely do it because like I said, he's not going to cost a lot of money and to get a bench bat, who's going to produce and, <laughs> and eventually have to and be can star- be a starter if you need him. Yeah, and can be your starter. This was his first slump of the week of the sea of the. Uh, excuse me, I can't speak right now. This was his first slump of the year. I was trying to say I was reading series at that time, so there's a lot of assets going on right there. But yeah, I, I would 100. percent Yeah, and you know, I'll go a little further and say I would have given Asdrubal Cabrera an extension as a similar kind of player. He's not a world beater, but he's just a steady presence who produces more than you expect from him and uh you know i remember early in the season when he said he was kind of waiting around for the nats to reach out to him and hoping to come back here and they didn't and so he went and signed with arizona and i think that was a mistake and now especially given the lack of depth at third base right ah carter cuba man we need you good yeah right but i mean wouldn't you wouldn't this look a little different if we still had cabrera and obviously, everybody wanted Kibum to come in and take that job, but Cabrera would it would have been nice to have Cabrera on the roster. They kind of have multiple uh, Cabreras already. I will say I was surprised they didn't bring him back, but I feel like with the way the roster is constructed, the entire roster is kind of a sure about Cabrera, if that makes sense. <laughs> it does make sense, and it makes me sad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's move on to our last segment of this episode, which is our one big thing. What you got? Yes, so there's a couple ways I was thinking of going with this. The offensive issue, I don't really feel like it. Um, I'm just focusing on the Nats, like looking at the schedule, get it together. So they have three against the Phillies. They then go out west. They have three against the Diamondbacks. Four against the Cubs, that's going to be a tough series. The Cubs decided they knew how to play baseball. Three against the Orioles, two against the Reds, three against the Brewers before the Braves, 
Phillies, Rays, Giants. Your, your schedule is going to get tough, but you have about three or four series here that are more favorable for you. I am saying this for the last time. <laughs> I already said it once, and you guys lost five of six. So I'm going to say it again. This is your time for the next two weeks. You have a good schedule in the next two weeks. Please go. Please go nine and five and better. That's all I ask. To go nine and five and better over these next two weeks before the Braves come to town. That's all I ask for. That's all I ask for. Please. <laughs> I wish I could say I believed you when you said that was the last time you'd say that, but I don't think you probably would be the saying last it time. all year. Because <laughs> the reason why I say that, the Nats play the Braves on May 31st. Usually around that time is when you can look at a team and be like, all right. This team is not a contender. This team is a contender. And that's when everyone starts kind of showing their true selves. So if it's going around to the end of May, early June, and this team is still scuffling, we know what this team is going to probably be looking at at the deadline. Actually, no, this, you know how this front office is. But these next 20 days are very crucial. Just go play some winning baseball. You have the talent. Figure out how to hit a damn ball. I'm tired of it. All right. Well, from your lips to the baseball gods' ears, hopefully. Okay, I've got my ask, one. I don't game. ask for much. <laughs> <laughs> Just win baseball games. Is that so much to ask? All right, my one big thing. I'm going to do what I always do and talk about hockey, which in this case it isn't actually about hockey, but it is about Alex Ovechkin, who um, it was announced yesterday has um, bought an ownership stake in and invested in the Washington Spirit, which is the professional women's soccer team here in town. And I think it's awesome that he is there's putting his money where his mouth is. A quote from him I wanted to share is, I think it's important to support women and women's professional athletes, not just in the United States, but all over the world. It was also important for me to support the DC community. If I have this opportunity, I think it's very important for me to do it because it also shows we care. I think a high profile male athlete investing in a new women's sports team in town is awesome. And there's a lot of talk all the time about supporting women sports and, um, you know, what they really need is money and exposure, and somebody like Ovechkin gives them both. And I think it's awesome that he did that. So I wanted to highlight that. The best part the best part about that is you could actually talk about, one, something that was absolutely fantastic. I love that Alex Ovechkin did this. But you can say, I'm going to talk about hockey without, oh, my God, mixed <laughs> yeah. reaction. So – you're going to have to talk about hockey again when Nick is back so we can exactly. get that back. Exactly. <laughs> aggravating Nick is among my favorite things, so <laughs> I will have to do it again. I love I always talk about hockey when we do the one big thing, and he's like, you're not allowed to say anything about Piranha. <laughs> and he actually totally stole my one big thing that night. And I was like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you got anything else before we get out of here? Um, no, I do not. Let's just go beat the damn Phillies. Let's do it. Uh, Destiny thinks we're going to sweep them, so I hope she's well, right. Well, I think the Nats are going to get swept. So <laughs> It's funny. We were telling her that is, you know, we, she is as, as pessimistic about the Phillies as we are about the Nats. So one it's of us not, has so, to be wrong. Something's got to give. <laughs> 
All right. Well, thank you to everybody listening. We appreciate you guys so much. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate it. Uh, make sure you check us out on Twitter at Half Street High Heat and at the website, HalfStreetHighHeat.com. I believe there's either a series preview out or will be soon. And also, you know, you'll get your pitching analysis and all the other good stuff you get for each series. Uh, have a great night. We'll talk in a couple days. Later. <laughs> There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac A new team's mowing down the ranks of their opponents The Nationals are smashing balls so that the commentator Who has the cause has passed the wall to see you later Let's go Nats We've got a game to play We're gonna win today Let's go By the early light of dawn, well you can see they're running scared Cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are bursting in the air Tell the Library of Congress that they might not want to look Cause we're putting curly W's in every book Let's go Nats We've got a game to play We're gonna win today Let's go who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call click Granger.com, or just stop by Granger for the ones who get it done When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.